Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here to worship with you all. Um, you know, I don't know if this is something uh, that you can relate with, but I don't like going to the doctors. I don't know if that's something that uh, you guys have felt. I think mostly I'm afraid of going to the doctors and finding out how unhealthy I am. Uh, and for them to give me a bad report over um, something that I've let go or, or not done enough with. Um, sometimes I'm afraid that they'll say, your diet is awful. And I know it, but I just don't like someone telling me uh, that it is. Or when they ask the questions like, well, how much are you exercising? And I'm like, not very much. And I, just, I don't like that judgment. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that criticism. And so uh, I don't really like going to the doctors. And the other day I had to make an appointment and I just didn't like thinking about it. Now there's kind of a problem that comes with a mentality uh, like that one. And I think that it allows, unfortunately, a more dangerous scenario to occur. Problems kind of slowly brew until it's either too late uh, or too hard to come back from. You know, I'm not even talking about like some of the big things that can grasp onto our lives like addiction um, or a sin that can just get its hooks into us and that we can't wrestle free from. I'm talking about just sometimes when you get a little too used to something, uh, when you get maybe a little too comfortable with an issue that's not quite so big a deal uh, in your life, but the more that you let it go, it just becomes harder and harder to fix, harder and harder to rectify. You know, for me, for exa an example, there have been stretches in life where I've been okay at working out regularly, believe it or not. Uh, and there have been stretches of good health and good exercise, but I don't know if you, like me, have experienced that sometimes those good stretches, they kind of go south after you miss a day and then you miss two days, and then all of a sudden it's been like four or five days, and then you kind of just don't want to think about it because you felt bad about all those days uh, that you've missed. You know, I think that that feeling, I think, is universal. I, I'm not sure if that's just a Reggie thing. You know, how many, I've talked with, you know, some men before about families that they have elsewhere that they don't live with, you know, and I've found that sometimes they share this universal feeling where they have feelings of guilt thinking about their kids or visiting with their kids because of how much time had lapsed in between the last visit. Does that make sense? Right? Where they're like, oh, geez, I haven't seen him for, it's been a month or it's been two months or it's been a year. And to kind of bring it up, actually, they get kind of scared and like, I, he's, my kid's doing fine. I don't even, I shouldn't even, they just kind of leave it there, right? And of course, that's not helpful, but it's a really easy human reaction to doing things that we don't want to do. The thing of it is, our faith, when it comes to faith, our relationship with God, truth is, it also needs checkups. Our faith, it needs maintenance. Now, I don't know if you know this about your car, for example. I don't know if you know you're not supposed to just drive it until that little weird check engine light turns on, right? You're not supposed to just drive and then wait for it to pop up, and then you say, oh, maybe I should get it checked on. That, that's not how it's supposed to go. There needs to be routine care, right? There needs to be regular maintenance. 
if you just continue to skip all the oil changes, your gaskets are going to blow. You're going to burn out. Things are going to get too hot. If you continue to ignore changing the brake pads, pretty soon you're going to have to change the whole braking system if you don't have a much more serious accident before then. And I think when we commit ourselves to that regular maintenance, I don't know about you, when, when that check engine light turns on in my car, I hate it. Because to me, it's always like, it's always like this random cost number that pops up because I'm not quite positive what, hopefully the issue is not a big deal, but sometimes it is a big deal. But if you or I are more uh, regular about that maintenance and taking care of it, then those numbers tend to be lower, smaller issues. Faith, in a similar fashion, it needs regular attention. I think we all, on paper, we recognize the need for its regular maintenance. We know that faith is supposed to be checked up on. But whether or not we're able to follow through with that on-paper priority versus actual priority, I know, I know that that's a different story for us. This series, Encounter God, has been put together to emphasize a desire to grow closer to God. If your faith is something that you're complacent about, that you, then you're in actually worse shape than you think. You're not merely at a complacent state, but chances are you're actually at a worse, lukewarm place. It's terrible to just simply be complacent or just be so-so about faith. There's a danger at be, of being at a so-so level because you fall into the danger of thinking that things are fine and you just might think that you don't have to do anything about it. Things aren't just fine. This Encounter God series will hopefully, hopefully remedy that. We want to get you out of the funk. We want you to get your faith out to a place where there's routine maintenance, where our faith receives intentional care. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about breaking up that routine pattern that we have and getting a new lease on faith, renewing excitement over something that we might be too used to. You know, last week, uh, a few of us here with me were kind of thrust uh, into a ministry moment that reminded me of one of the most surefire ways to connect to God. Last week, I think most of us on our Life Fellowship group page we saw Tony Martin's post about his neighbor uh, who needed a lot of help moving all of a sudden. Uh, he had to be out of his home at the end of the month, and this fellow wasn't as organized, had a lot of stuff, was kind of unorganized, and so it wasn't a neat little boxes and stacks that we loaded into a big truck and brought to a place. Instead, it was just too much stuff not enough vehicle, none boxes. It was just kind of a really hard move, and he was just super unprepared. But after five or six of us showed up, and we started working together and moving his things, getting things cleaned up, getting organized, thing is, we actually didn't even finish. There was so much stuff. Uh, but after we moved a lot of stuff, we thankfully were able to connect with a semi-professional moving 
uh, group of guys, hired them to come out and finish up the next day, and they got, I think, most of it done, most of it stitched up. Uh, Tony had reported to me. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this when you help other people out, when you put other people's needs, and when you do something just really fantastic for someone else, that felt really good. It felt really good to roll up our sleeves and work hard and find the stressful thing that someone has in their life and literally lift the load with them. It felt really good to do that. I've always found it personally satisfying to roll the sleeves up, to work hard, to meet someone's need. And I think those who were able to join us probably felt something similar. Why? Why do we feel like that? I think it's because in helping others, in finding others' needs, and fulfilling them, we emulate the very act of love from which we were created. When we find other people, help them with their needs, fulfill those needs, we are emulating the very act of love from which we were created. To take care of others and love others, to put others' needs ahead of our own, speaks to something buried, deep, in the fiber of humanity, deep in who we are, deep in our character, placed there by God himself. In 1 John chapter 4, verse seven through eight, it says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God in this scripture that sometimes you need to read a couple of times because it has some cyclical reasoning almost in there. God is love, love is God. We find that God is inseparable, inseparable from an actionable love. Not just some simple, warm, fuzzy feeling of love. No, not, not that. But a love that works, a love that takes care of others, a love that would eventually die for you if need be. When Jesus, in the New Testament, he's pressed by his critics to name the most important law, he says in just a couple of lines that the whole of all of the law and all of the prophets can be summed up into just a couple of lines. Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 37 through 40, Jesus replied to those critics, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I'd like to read this next passage in the vision, I mean, in, in the literal, physical, Tony looked across his fence, looked next door, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Apparently, if all you knew of Scripture, if the only pieces of Scripture you were to know were these two lines, if you knew nothing of the context of the Christian religion, apparently these two lines would be fine. This is enough to know. All of the law, all of the prophets hang on these. If it's that important, 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If it's that important, wouldn't it make sense that our very identity is wrapped up in these commands? That who we are is attached to these commandments. Did you know, I wonder if you knew this, did you know that the very origin of philosophy, do you know this big college word, philosophy, where a bunch of guys in robes sit around talking to one another, the origin of philosophy was to logically arrive to the meaning of life. They got together and just tried to hash out what is the meaning of our existence. And in these two lines, Jesus answers this age-old pursuit. The more in tune we each are to this commandment, the more meaning we will find in our faith and in our existence. When every part of our life is adjacent to this truth, the more sense that life makes, the more satisfying that life is. Why do you think that we're going to go to feed my starving children in a few weeks? Why do you think that there is constant volunteerism at Feed My Starving Children? That place is always plumful. It's hard to get a spot, actually. You gotta go months in advance to make sure that you can get a spot just to volunteer at Feed My Starving Children. They're short on money. They're short on money, but they're always plumb, chock full of volunteers. Why is that? Because people like to get that service high. They do. They like to feel good after doing something for someone else. There's this service high. Maybe they feel better about living selfish lives knowing that they did their part. You know, I say this because the truth is not everybody who goes to feed my starving children is of a religious background. Isn't that weird? Why are people giving up of their weekend time, their special time to do their own thing? Sometimes you find that there are just business corporations that go there and do it as a, a team-growing exercise. Did you know that? Or I'll, oftentimes, I can't remember the last time I'd gone and there wasn't a birthday party there. It's really neat to be able to see that. But it's this weird, odd phenomenon having people there who aren't necessarily about grace, who aren't about loving their neighbor as themselves, there volunteering. But if the service that they're, that's happening if the people who are there are doing it because of how much it pleases themselves, how selfless is it? Right? Even though it's a nonprofit, even though it's an organization where you do stuff for other people, if I'm there because it makes me feel good, is it still that selfless quality? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 through 10, it says there, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Sometimes we do see people in life who are out there to volunteer simply to please themselves because it does feel good. If even in the guise of volunteer work, unfortunately, they will reap destruction. 
But we, but we Christians, we who are God followers, who serve others not to please oneself, not to please ourselves, but we serve to please God. And by pleasing God, we reap life, according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 through 10. Our cause, above all things, is to serve God. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, it says, the king will reply, and, and this, is, this is Jesus speaking to the parameters of which he will judge at the end of time, at the end of life. And he talks about separating, separating the sheep and the goats and talking about how you lived a life taking care of the people around you, taking care of the needy, taking care of those who had less, who were more unfortunate than you. Matthew 25, 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Our cause is to serve God. Our cause is to serve God. The positive feelings, because I'm not to deny them, we have positive feelings when we serve others, but the positive feelings that we have after serving people around us is simply a byproduct of serving God. It's a byproduct of serving God. We shouldn't feel good about our own actions because it's selfish. We should feel good because we glorify God, because we make God look good. When we are at the neighbor's, I love telling them that I don't know this guy. He just happens to be my neighbor's, my friend's neighbor. And then to share with them that I belong to a church or I am that one of Christ's followers. I have none attachment to this gentleman, but because of my love for God, they could see my conviction in wanting to serve a man who was desperate for help. And in that regard, we made God look good. That's why I feel good, because I mean to glorify him, to glorify God. I'm not out there to make Reggie look good. We aren't out there to make ourselves look good. We're out there to make God look good. And when I make God look good, I feel good. The good feelings that come from service are simply a, by, a byproduct of glorifying God. And that's why we should be out there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, it says, So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. This reward, of course, is reunion at the end of this life with God. But I also think that we receive reward now, that good feelings byproduct of glorifying God. We find fulfillment in doing the thing that we were meant to do. This is philosophy 101. Why were humans made? What are we doing here? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of all things? We find fulfillment in doing the thing that we were meant to do. How sad, how sad a thought would it be if Paul McCartney had never picked up an instrument? How sad would that be? How sad would it be if Steven Spielberg had never picked up a camera? That'd be sad. How sad would it be if Bobby Flay never picked up a knife? 
never picked up a knife, never got into the kitchen. That'd be, that'd be sad. It is the same disappointment to find a Christian who does not serve his fellow man in the name of God. That's that same disappointment. That's the same sadness. Because a Christian who does not serve his fellow man in the name of God is missing out on his purpose. Missing out on what he's supposed to be doing. Glorifying God by spreading his unconditional love to others. Taking care of others around us in the name of God, it is a shot in the arm if it is your desire to feel closer to him. There's hardly a substitute for that fulfilling kind of commandment. Doing what we are called to do. Arguably what we were made to do. Because the truth is, man's first charge at the beginning of all things, what was man's first charge? To tend to creation. To take care of creation. I wonder if it wasn't God's design for men to find fulfillment in working the land, enjoying that alone, and praising him in thanksgiving for such a satisfying life for what he'd given us. I wonder if that's what it was supposed to be. Just working the ground, wiping the sweat off our brow, thanking God for the good life that he'd given us. I think that's what it was just supposed to be. But we complicated it a little bit. If it's a goal of yours to check under the hood, to look at your faith, to reassess, to see if things have gone stale, if they've become complacent, if they've become dangerously lukewarm, then I think that service is a very simple answer, a very simple alternate exercise, a different approach to faith that we may have been missing out on. And so this week's takeaway, crazy simple. You probably don't even have to write it down. Look for opportunities to serve. Easy as that, real simple. Repainting, painting some, some siding, I guess. <laughs> Look for opportunities to serve. The truth is, this can be as simple as listening for prayer requests around you. You know, just listening to your coworkers when they've got bad stuff going on in their life and just sitting and listening. That's cr you know what's crazy? Is there's not enough people out there listening to other people. You know why we're paying professionals to sit in an office with us and have one-on-one -on -one counseling? Because people in their lives, they don't have people to talk to. It's crazy, just lending an ear is gonna be a huge ministry. Just listen to other people. Find out what their prayer requests are. And truth is, finding out what their prayer requests are gives you a pretty long list of opportunities to serve. When you find out that my neighbor's gotta be out by the end of the day. Mount up, let's go. Let's charge in there and do something about it. If you just listen to the prayer requests around you or helping organize others around you to come together for help. Earlier in our uh, announcement time, we're going to feed my starving children in just a few weeks. If you want a shot in the arm, if, if you want to approach God in a different way that might rejuvenate some faith inside you, find a sitter, schedule some time, go out and do something that isn't for you and instead is something to glorify God and to help a international neighbor. So this is a really simple takeaway. Really very simple. Look for a way that you can serve someone in your life. If that's a friend, 
a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. Find someone in your life that you can serve. If you're not hearing those requests, come, to, come with our church to Feed My Starving Children. That's organizing an opportunity to serve. Very, very simple. It's what we're made to do, and it makes sense that it's a shot in the arm when it comes to faith. And because of its simplicity, I want to leave you with this benediction, this passage of Scripture that speaks so clearly to the relationship between satisfaction and service. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that, you, uh, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Bow with me. Dear God, uh, the deep love that you have shown us through your son Jesus Christ's life, ministry, and sacrifice in this world is the chief example of the unconditional love that I hope we, as a congregation, as individuals, would be able to show to the people around us. I pray, God, that we each would remain touched, transformed, and convicted by such a costly love that we would go out, that we would pour our own, our own spirits out for the sake of others. You ask us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and to treat our neighbors as ourselves. I pray, God, that we would take that commandment and that we would bury it so deep in our heart that the image of our own self-will would soon be erased and be replaced with the image of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would see the faith in this room, that you, through your mercy, would continue to grow the connection between us and you as we seek service and love of our neighbors and the people around us. I pray these things in your heavenly son's name. Amen.